it's Thursday, January 11th, 2018. I'm Laura Lee and let's break down what's happening in the news. Okay, big shrug. I have seen way too many posts blaming Donald Trump for all the problems in North Korea. So we're going to take a look at the situation in North Korea and we're going to try to figure out who is actually at fault. A little bit of history here. I love history, so hold on and let's see what we can learn. On August the 15th, 1945, Japan surrendered and World War II was finally over. Japan had ruled Korea since 1876, and when the Americans took over Japan, that left Korea open. At that point, Korea was divided in half. The Americans took control of the south side, and the Soviet Union took control of the north side. So a little bit of information here about the war. Technically, the Soviet Union was one of the good guys in World War II. And in all fairness, we probably would not have won World War II as quickly if it wasn't for the Russian troops. They were able to fight in the cold winter when the German troops were not as equipped for that winter. But the first error, Soviet Union had control of North Korea. The idea for Korea was the same as the idea for Germany and Japan. The winning countries would take control long enough to set the country up for success and freedom, and then they would walk away. This would be overseen by the newly created United Nations. This worked in Germany, Japan, and South Korea. However, while the Soviet Union was a good guy in theory, they were actually really, really, really bad. Because communism always is really, really, really bad. In 1948, Kim Il-sung, who was the leader of the Communist People's Army, he convinced the Soviet Union to make sure that the UN would not have any elections held in North Korea. Second error, no elections were held. In and so the Democratic People, Republic of Korea, with Kim Il-sung as premier, became a reality. Russia eventually left North Korea, but not before they drained most of their natural resources and left all the people starving. Meanwhile, in South Korea, the elections were held and a new government was formed. And as promised, the Americans gave control back to the Korean people and left the country in 1949. However, they left too early. The government was not strong enough. The army was not prepared enough. And here's our third error. For the next two years, Battles are constantly held on the border of North and South Korea. And then, June 25th, 1950, North Korea invades South Korea. And the Korean War officially starts. On paper, this is a war between North and South Korea. But in reality, this is a war between communism and freedom. Almost immediately, the communists from North Korea took control of almost all of South Korea. Only a few small sections were left. Russia and China backed their communist friends. It looked hopeless for the people in South Korea. President Truman was the president in the USA, and he had a hard choice to make. They lost so many Americans in back-to-back -back world wars. The government had not restocked the military needs. But he knew if communism was allowed to spread, we would have another world war. The world needed to know communism would not be allowed to dominate. So, President Truman sent troops to South Korea. Into our story marches Douglas MacArthur, 
a hero of World War II. MacArthur took the troops to the border, and he took control. It was an easy victory, and soon the troops had freed all of South Korea and had taken control of almost all of North Korea. Under the authority of MacArthur, this was going to be a simple and effective war. But then the Chinese marched into North Korea. And here's our fourth error. China should not have gotten involved in the Korean War. The Chinese army was not as strong as the American army, but they were much larger. And the number of the soldiers made it impossible to beat. Quickly, the Americans were pushed back to the South Korean border. It looked like the Chinese were going to take control of both the North and South Korea. It looked hopeless. In walks our next amazing general, Matthew Ridgway, on December 23rd, 1950. For the next 100 days, the Americans fight, and the Chinese are finally driven back across the border into North Korea. During that 100 days, Seoul was controlled by the Americans, then the Chinese then the Americans, and then the Chinese, and then finally the Americans. For the next year, the Communists and the Americans wage war. But during that year, in America, they were having an election. Dwight D. Eisenhower, he ran under the promise that he would end the Korean War. The Americans were tired of war. They didn't understand what the Korean War was about. In November of 1952, Eisenhower won the election. In December, while he was president-elect, and that means he had been voted in, but he hadn't been sworn in. Eisenhower visited South Korea, and he decided the war was not winnable, and he was out. The generals begged him to continue. They felt like they were really close to winning. And here's our fifth error. They didn't finish the job. Communism was not defeated. This error was going to lead to the Cold War, and that's a really interesting war. I think I'm going to tackle that in another episode, because Russia and communism seems to keep popping up in our news. So, 1953, the UN signs an agreement between North Korea and China. Interesting, the USA and South Korea did not sign this agreement. You're probably thinking, hey, wait a minute, where's Canada all in all this? We had troops in there too. Well, we did. We sent a whopping 26,000 troops and eight destroyers. So, you know, maybe we could have helped out a little bit more. But 516 Canadians, 516 Canadians died in the conflict. 36,651 Americans died. After the UN made this peaceful agreement, Kim Il-sung went on a rampage. He murdered everyone who was not communist. This is the way every communist party works. Let me tell you, where there's communism, there's millions of dead citizens. Kim Il-sung had a focus on military, and that is where all the money was going to go. Then the 1970s, Korea had a mining crisis. Suddenly, countries didn't need their mining, and they had no money. So for the citizens, things went from bad to worse. Then the 1980s, North Korea starts its nuclear program. This would have been a really great time for the UN to step in and take control, if the UN did anything useful ever. But no, we'll call that the seventh error. Then in September of 1991, the most insane thing happened. The UN allowed both the South Korea and the North Korea to join the UN. We'll call that the eighth error, or what were they think the 90s come along? And the 90s give us Bill Clinton. So when he wasn't sleeping with interns in the White House, he was making stupid deals with North Korea. And while he was still negotiating that deal, Kim Il-sung died, July 8th, 1994. His son, 
Kim Jong-il takes power. So his father's slogan was focused on the military. Junior's slogan was army first. So, you know, not a whole lot changed. The deal moved forward and was signed on October 21st, 1994. All right, here's how the deal went. The USA gave North Korea 500,000 tons of fuel and South Korea promised to cover the costs of fuel that would be lost when North Korea shut down its nuclear program. North Korea said, hey, you know what? Our nuclear program, that's just for electricity, except for the whole part where the power plant wasn't connected to the electric grid. So probably it wasn't for electricity. The North Korean deal was very similar to the Obama-Iran deal. They got everything up front and promised to not make any nuclear bombs. But communists, they're really not known for being honest. We'll call this error number nine. At this time, a businessman in New York went on the news program stating the deal with North Korea was a disaster and it was going to end with nuclear bombs pointed at New York City in about 20 years. That businessman was Donald Trump. We'll call this error 10. They should have listened to Donald Trump, who was 100% correct. North Korea then faced a huge flooding and drought problem. Life got even harder for the people living in North Korea. Then in 2005, North Korea had its first nuclear test. The world was outraged and they said, you shouldn't do that, that's bad. And North Korea said, we don't care what you think. And yeah, that's what all that happened. Bush talked diplomatically as if he was talking to a sane person and that really didn't work. We'll call this error 11. The UN didn't step in at this moment and stop the madman. Although the madman was now part of the UN, so you know. 2006, North Korea tested seven missiles. In 2009, Obama became the president and that same year, North Korea launched a long range missile. Then December 17, 2011, Kim Jong-il died and into power came Kim Jong-un. Okay, the names are getting really confusing, so we're gonna call this guy Rocket Man. Okay, 2012, North Korea launches satellites with a rocket. And in 2015, North Korea tests the missile from a submarine. In 2016, North Korea fires a missile directly into Japanese controlled water. A few months later, it fires three more missiles. Bush did nothing, Obama did nothing. We'll call this errors 12 through 17. No one cared. Then 2017, Trump shows up on the scene and somehow it's all his fault because he tweeted something. Look, he doesn't talk to the rocket man like he's a normal person. He hits him where it hurts, his pride. He openly mocks him. He talks about him like he's a child, not the God that he thinks he is. Is it working? I don't know. Currently, North Korea has agreed to talk to South Korea, and that hasn't happened in a while. And they're planning on sending a delegate to the upcoming Olympics. That's interesting. Okay, personally, I think they need to do a makeover of the Korean War, and this time end it. Russia and China don't have to agree. They just need to stay out of the way. The problem could be taken care of very quickly. We're not here today because of Donald Trump. We're here because the Soviet Union was left to set up a country. We're here because the communist dictator was allowed to take control instead of a planned elections. We're here because communist China backed North Korea during the Korean War. 
were here because the president left a job unfinished and refused to completely destroy communism. We're here because Clinton made a stupid deal and Bush, Obama, and the UN ignored the crazy country over there building nuclear weapons. That's why we're here. Maybe you're thinking, well, what exactly is the difference now between North and South Korea? Let's look at North Korea. There's around 25 million people in North Korea. Their leader, the rocket man, he's not seen as human. He is God. The citizens are brainwashed and most people believe he can actually read their minds. Any negative thing spoken or even perceived to be negative against the rocket man is punished by hard labor or death. Death means firing squad, hanging, in some cases stripped naked and fed to starving dogs. North Korea is probably the most miserable place on earth to live. For the last seven decades, the citizens have not been free to say or even think what they want. Even the clothes they wear is directed by the government. The GDP is 197th in the world. The average wage is two to three dollars a month and homes are heated with open flames because electricity is only available a few hours a day. The children can go to school, but they have to provide their own desk, chair, and fuel for the fire. And school? Well, in school, they're taught the Kim family created the world. There's no internet in North Korea. And making international calls without permission from the government, that's punished by death. I was listening to a YouTube video of a girl who escaped North Korea, and this is what she said. When I was nine years old, I watched my friend's mom publicly executed for watching a Hollywood movie. According to the law, North Korea has freedom of worship, but the only worship allowed is the worship of the dear leader. Currently, 400,000 Christians live in North Korea. There's 400,000 people who chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, even though North Korea is listed as the number one most dangerous place in the world for a Christian to live. Right now, today, there's 40,000 Christians in labor camps in North Korea. Let's compare the communist North Korea to the free South Korea. There are around 50 million South Korean citizens who live in freedom and have the opportunity to be wealthy. Family life in South Korea is celebrated. Well, some of the favorite celebrations they have are the baby's first 100 days. Weddings are a big deal. The 61st birthday, that's a huge celebration. Their food, it's grains and fresh vegetables, a lot of rice, stew, soup, but even pizza and hamburgers and sushi are very popular. Art is celebrated. Sports are, of course, a huge part of South Korea. In fact, I'm sure you're all aware the Olympics are going to be there really soon. South Korea has a free press and many newspapers, radio, television. It's the fourth largest economy in Asia and the fifth largest automobile production in the entire world. And they've not only given us a lot of cars, they've given us LG and Samsung. South Korea is a model global citizen that actually deserves to be in the UN and should have a voice and a vote. They're a strong ally to America and Canada. They are a voice of freedom. You look at South Korea, you look at North Korea, and what you see is the difference between capitalism and communism. And look at the way the citizens live under capitalism. And look at the way the citizens live under communism. What can we do as Christians? First of all, we pray for the Christians living in North Korea. We can pray for those 
who've never heard about the power of Jesus Christ who are living in North Korea. We can pray for a miracle and for freedom to come to the people who have waited for seven decades and have been forgotten by the world. And as Christians, we can stand up for those who have been forgotten. We can demand that our government do something, not say something, do something. You can use social media. You can spread awareness and let people know what's happening to the citizens in North Korea. That's North Korea, where people are starving and making $2 a month. Meanwhile, here in Ontario, people are demanding and getting $15 an hour to pour you coffee and get you a donut. So yeah, we're going to jump into that story now. The minimum wage debate here in Ontario. As of last week, our minimum wage is $14 an hour, and it's going to jump to $15 an hour. It was $11.60. We're looking at around a 30% jump. Businesses have already had their taxes go up, their electricity bills have been going up, and now a 30% jump in paying employees? Look, I'm a strong believer in limited government, and I don't want the government getting involved in things, but one of the jobs the government does have is to create an atmosphere where there are many jobs available and where starting new businesses is encouraged and celebrated. Instead, success is being shamed. Shamed, yes, shamed. Honestly, the story of the Tim Hortons right now is driving me crazy. So if you guys haven't heard about this, some of the Tim Hortons, they're gonna stop giving free food and paid breaks to its employees. This is how they're gonna make up for the huge cost they now have to pay for. So let's stop and really think through what happened. So a franchise holder decided they would go above and beyond what the law required and they would give extra benefits and extra breaks to their employees. Sounds like a nice person to work for. Then their electricity bill starts going up and all of a sudden they have to give all their employees a 30% raise. And yes, all of their employees, not just the minimum wage workers, because those who, when you get a raise, it has to be above minimum wage. So everybody has to go up. So what are they gonna do? Where's this money gonna come from? They can't raise the price of the product because franchise holders can't control the price of the product. So what do they do? Well, they're gonna to have to hire less people. They're gonna to have to work more hours themselves. And they're gonna to have to cut back on some of the perks they give their employees that come directly out of their profits. In the case of Tim Hortons, they're still giving their employees more than the law requires. So what does our liberal government do? Our premier, Kathleen Wynne, calls them bullies. Really, bullies. Then all of a sudden I find out people are actually boycotting Tim Hortons. They're having a no Tim's Tuesday. So what does that accomplish? Okay, so an 18 year old works at Tim Hortons. It's a slow day, so she has to get sent home early. Thanks boycotters. The employees you were supposedly standing up for just lost work hours. Okay, I could go on a huge rant page. I could explain to you how franchise owners are really small business owners the large corporation makes the same amount of money whether you buy a product or not. I could explain how the franchise owner has to pay a monthly fee to the corporation and how this fee has to be paid whether you buy a double-double or stay home. But you know what? I'm not going to delve into all that because you know why? It doesn't matter. If your local Tim Hortons owner is a success and is bringing in millions of dollars, guess what? That doesn't make them evil. When did we start condemning success? When did it become a bad thing to do well and achieve financial security? I even hear Christians talking about how it's greedy for the Tim's owners to cut back on the perks they were giving their employees. It's not greedy. It's called business. You know what's greedy? 
It's greed to demand to be given perks that take money directly out of the pockets of the small business owners. So how does a Christian respond to all this? Well, you know what? Next time you're at Tim's, ask to speak to the manager. Then tell the manager you wanted them to know they're doing a great job and you support them. Do you have a teen working at Tim's? Maybe remind them to be grateful they have a job and not complain. Are you a person working at Tim's? Don't complain. And here's the hardest one for me. When I start getting mad at our ridiculous out of touch premier, to stop and pray for her. You don't have to support her. Please, please do not support her. But God does tell us to pray for her. And if you still really feel bad for the employees at Tim's and you just realize, oh, that boycott I was part of was actually stupid and pointless, maybe plan on tipping the Tim's workers. That way you get your double-double, the employee gets to stay at work because there's actually customers, and your tip might cover the muffin they would have gotten for free on their break. Although, let's be real, they just got a 30% raise. They might be able to afford their own muffin now. I have this feeling like this story is going to show up quite often in our week. You know what? I hear a lot of Marxist comments coming out of people when they talk about minimum wage. So maybe in the next podcast, we'll tackle the history and facts about Marxism. All right, now for a little bit of humorous news. So there's this guy named Inad Al-Almani. I don't know. I know I didn't say it right, and I don't even really care. But anyway, this guy, he's one of the founders of the Palestinian terror group Hamas. And he's just been hospitalized because he was shot in the head by himself while he was inspecting his gun. And he's now in serious condition in a hospital. Okay, this guy gets a little bit funnier. Uh, he also has a leg injury from 2014. That was when he was in a tunnel. The terrorists, they build these tunnels so that they can get into Israel and kill Jews. He was in the tunnel, the elevator collapsed while he was hiding in there and he hurt his leg. Hopefully he learns his lesson and maybe tries to stop killing Jews. So how does a Christian look at this story? We need to remember that God promised he would bless those who bless Israel. He would curse those who curse Israel. And now for an update on Iran. So the government is now having pro-government rallies and making sure the media gets lots of footage. More people have been killed more have been arrested. The internet is almost completely gone now. It's hard to find out what's happening. And the media still doesn't care. If you're not sure what's going on in Iran, check out last week's episode. I explain the history of what got us here. This week, I was chatting with a dear missionary friend. And we were both saying, we look at the world, we look at North Korea, we look at Iran. It seems like the whole world is falling apart. And it can seem that way when we look at these stories and we wonder what is going on. As a Christian, we need to remember that even in the chaos, God is working. And here's some amazing things that will help you remember that. Last week, we talked about the millions of people in Iran who are turning to Jesus. This week, we talked about Korea. Did you know that in 1901, there was zero churches in all of Korea? And today, there are 7,000 churches just in the capital of South Korea. In all the chaos, God is working. Not just in Korea, but check out China. Did you know there are now more Christians in China than members of the Communist Party? The church in China is growing so fast that soon China is going to have the largest Christian population in the entire world. Look at Africa. At the end of the 19th century, 3% of the population of Southern Africa was Christian. But today, it's 63%. And did you know? 
that today and every day, approximately 80,000 people turn to Jesus Christ. Every single day, 80,000 people believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confess their sins, and call out to him every single day. And that has a lot to do with the fact that every single day around the world, 510 new churches are planted. You hear all of this in Canada, and it seems that can't be true. It seems strange to hear that in Canada, because in Canada, Christianity is on the decline. There are less churches, and there are less people in the churches, and there are less people coming to Christ. Let me tell you why I think that is. See, in those other countries, they hear you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to lose everything, but Jesus is worth it. But here in Canada, too many churches, all they care about is making the church feel comfortable for the unbeliever. Churches, they don't want to be offensive. They don't want to say anything that might sound too churchy. Most sermons sound like a grown-up version of TVO Kids. Be nice. Be kind. Share your toys. The church has lost its message. I know very few churches that give an invitation today. Very few churches that will use the word sin. Very few churches that are willing to preach the gospel. The kids are coloring pictures, the teens are playing dodgeball, and the adults are hearing a Christian version of the same Justice Warrior stuff the rest of the world is saying. What is it? What is this message that we as Christians are not spreading in Canada? The message is that God created us. He loves us. He wants us to be with him forever. But God is not only love, he's also holy, and that means he is separated from sin. The bad news is that all of us have sinned. The Bible says we've all turned away. We've all gone our own way. The Bible says there is none that does good, not even one. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We may have walked away from God, but God loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God came himself as Jesus Christ. He was perfect. He was blameless, and he took our punishment for our sin with death on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he came back to life. And when we see that we are sinners, and when we admit to God that we have sinned, when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do, when we believe that Jesus is God, and he alone can rescue us from our sin, when we call out to him, he will save us. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There's no magic words. There's no memorized prayer. You just talk to him. You confess your sin. You believe. You call out to him, and he will save you. If you want to learn more about my speaking ministry, check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com. And I know, I have a strange name. It's hard to know how to spell it. Lauralee, it's L-O-R-E-L-E-E. Lauralee, L-O-R-E-L-E-E. Check out lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next Thursday. God bless.